Hi, everyone. It's Gustavo, your host for the Enabled Disabled podcast. Today's guest is Laura Friedman. Laura has a remarkable history of making every organization or company she's worked in a better place for her teammates, coworkers, and for people with disabilities. Some key highlights, Laura has volunteered at the New York City's Mayor's Office for People with Disabilities for nearly six years. She is currently on the board of directors for the Worldwide Hearing Foundation International, and she is working in the private sector in communications and people strategy. Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I am really excited to talk to you and really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here as well. Awesome. Why don't we get started closer to the beginning? Tell us a little bit about your childhood, what it was like for you, and then we can move into your story and get into your work and all of the amazing active activism that you've done and education. I, I do want to talk about your thesis because I think that's a fascinating topic, but tell us about the beginning. Did you grow up in New York? I grew up about an hour and a half outside of the city in Orange County, New York but my family deeply rooted in the New York area. So I grew up coming into the city, going up to Boston and DC. My family's all over the place now, but New York has always been home. And then so about my childhood. So I was born, I was super sick when I was a baby and a newborn and spent my first month in the hospital. We don't fully know if it's with the cars, but they gave me an antibiotic that is extremely strong and it's known to be ototoxic, which means toxic to the ear. And there's a high probability that could have um, resulted in my current hearing loss that has been stable since diagnosis. So a lot of, for reference, a lot of people who have hearing loss, that's genetic, it progresses towards over time. Mine had been stable since day one. And so that's another sign that the damage was a one and done type of situation. That doesn't mean it won't get worse as I age, which is a normal aging process, but I would have seen dips at this point in my life. So anyway, going back to that. So I was sick. I went home, had a normal childhood internal. Like as a toddler, except where I really wasn't responding to words unless someone was speaking towards me or speaking. And as I started missing some developmental milestones where my brother attacked them early, my mom didn't want to compare us, but she started just something wasn't right in her gut. And she started investigating, and this is back before the age of Google and Wikipedia and WebMD. This is when it's word of mouth and you go to the library and the book can be 30 years old. And she took me to all sorts of specialists um, to try and diagnose whatever was going on. Because over time, as I wasn't improving, it became clear it's hitting two and a half, close to three felt. She needed to understand why I wasn't speaking or wasn't able to respond to words unless she was facing me. And she didn't want to take me to the school district because back then when you, you were labeled, 
and we were categorized at leading special education, it could be really detrimental, even if you have the capabilities. It's it was a very different time. And she wanted to make sure that she positioned me and my family in the best ways until she went to private doctors. And they took over a year and a half of really random diagnoses that didn't make sense. Like, I'm not ADHD, I'm not bouncing. Wasn't bouncing off the walls as a kid. They told me I had learning processing disorders, which that they wouldn't explain the, the lack of speech or of being able to to pronounce things legibly and articulate them. I mean, I wouldn't explain not responding. Eventually, she did take me to the school district. She was out of option. Within five minutes, they figured out I had moderate to profound hearing loss. And from there, it wasn't the greatest thing to find out, but it, it was finally something that made sense. And from there, my parents, who both are in the medical field, my father is a doctor, my mom's actually a nurse, and so is my grandmother. It, they attack things like, okay, what next? Right? They, don't, they didn't sit there wondering or complaining or being upset that like the world is out to get them, although there was obviously probably emotions involved, but they attack, they attack a diagnosis. Okay, this is what is. And this is what isn't, how do we get from A to B? And from and when we get to B, B to C, and like, what are those steps? Who do we go to? What do we need to do? How do we get her what she needs? And I'm so fortunate that my family has that mentality because they didn't waste any time. And then from three onwards, it was catching me up. I clearly had the brain power to do it, but I lost three years worth of vocabulary, which is like looking back, that's when most your vocabulary is acquired. How you learn like basic words and sentence structures, and without even being not vocabulary test, it's just it's integrated and integrated into your daily life. And then on top of that, I might understand what a word is or know what a word means, but if I don't hear it used in a sentence, or even if I do hear it but I don't process it. Like I hear it differently, it affected how I wrote and spoke. And so all these things had a compounding effect academically, but so I caught up in a lot of ways, but I was behind in some ways. And over the course of like the following 10 years of the diagnosis with managing those gaps in my vocabulary and making sure that I had all the tools and resources I need to be able to succeed and learning what that was because there really wasn't I'm part of a generation uh maybe the generation before me a little is really the first generation but I'm really part of a generation of part of hearing folk that are part of our workforce and our normal culture versus being institutionalized or not having the right resources or technologies to allow them to succeed in our typical world that we live in, in our hearing-centric world. So there really wasn't an example or a framework of this is what works because it's worked on this person. It was, I mean, part of the generation that was establishing that. And so I look at the kid today, they got it so good. They, they get diagnosed at like birth and sometimes that's not the case, but they get implanted with cochlear implant and you don't hear the speech impediment. They don't 
I don't skip a beat. It's from the get-go, it's like a seamless integration. Now I understand there's politics involved in all of that, but taking the politics of the depth and heart of the family world out of it, it's just the same envious. I'm like, it's just, it would have been such a different experience. But I also really am proud of how hard I've had to work because the payoff, all my challenges and hurdles, it's just really, yeah, it's just, I, I get to think back, I did all of that. I lived a life before my life began in a sense. So. Well, it's really a couple of interesting things there that stand out to me, but one third thing that just, I, I want I'm just so curious, like wh why it's, it's not a super important question, but it's just, it's a, it's one of those nagging questions. So like, why did this, why do you think the school district was able to diagnose what was going on so fast when all of those other doctors missed it? Is there, was there ever like an answer for that? It's a fantastic question. I have absolutely no idea. I couldn't answer that for you. Maybe, maybe no one else did a hearing test because they didn't think of it. I don't know. I, I don't remember this. This is all anecdotal. I don't know. I don't even know if my parents stopped knowing how they are about things. They probably it's just that explains that they didn't. What are they going to do? Go after a refund? No, but no, I think it's a... I think it's a good, I don't know, you're right. There's probably no practical advantage to answering that question, except that maybe the next time you go into a doctor's office or the next time there's something that they can't figure out, you can learn something from oh, the mistake okay. that was made. That's all. In, in terms of growing up though, I think that our parents obviously have such an influence on our behavior, on our values, on how we, how we think about the world and react to it. Can you, I would imagine that it was also super advantageous to push you to catch up, right? To say, look, these are the steps we're going to take. Did reading help? Did speech therapy help? What were some of the things that helped you effectively catch up to everybody else? I don't know if I would use the word advantageous so much, but in the first few years, my mom, I did Actually, I did speech therapy for a long time, but I'll get to that in a second because I probably didn't end up needing it by as long as I had it. But I, I will, I will answer that part in a second. But starting with speech therapy, I needed to learn what sounds were and how to pronounce them properly. I hear things differently. And so my mom used to sit on the couch and go gut gut and teach me sounds and apply them to words and try and, which is what you, when you do this with little kids too, you don't just want to use one word and that you want to use funny or comic and you want to follow up with a few words that mean the same thing so that I have exposure to other vocabulary because certain words and certain sounds were really hard for me to hear. And so I might have heard things, but I ne didn't necessarily put them together. That was a big focus. And my mom spent a lot of time doing that with me. And I'm fortunate that she was able to do that. And then like the decision of when I got my diagnosis, they actually said I was never going to hear it speak. They were, but I had hearing loss. So it wasn't completely deaf. So it was like a confusing diagnosis. So the next question was, do we teach her sign or do we teach her language? And my whole family has typical hearing. 
not typical eyesight, but typical hearing. And that was a decision my parents had to grapple with. And it was my grandfather who was, if you don't try, you'll never know. She felt like, she felt, she felt trying. And then we all learned sign language and we take a beat. But if you want her to live in the world that you live in, and again, like politics aside, other people feel differently about that, then you're going to have to try. And I never, never look back, right? I don't know sign language. I could learn it now, but it, it wasn't. Something that from then on, it was just go. And what go was meant different things at different points. So we, the great thing about the school district is that at least back then, I can't speak to today's world. They equipped you with a lot of resources that like they paid for my speech therapy, which was three times a week, and they also paid for her to get um, certified in hearing loss because she was much more, more, most kids who are language delayed or have autism, but the hearing loss aspect of speech therapy, especially in like my suburban town, that's an hour and a half outside the city, there wasn't a specialist. But we identified a speech therapist who wasn't my first, but she was, once we had her, she was in my life from then on. I'm still very much in touch with her. She's like a part of my family. But we identified that like she was the right fit for me. She had the right mentality. She was smart. And she got certified and the school district paid for that certification and that upskilling. And then they also paid for her services up until I was 18. And so I utilized her in different ways throughout different parts of my life. Probably the middle school, high school. You know, we did speech exercises to warm up my mouth. But it was more focused on vocabulary. So she would sit, I would sit with my back towards her, say words, and I would decipher them like I was, I would do in the audiologist's office, but use SAT words. Or we would go over how to use words in a sentence and words that I might know or read in, in a book, but because I don't necessarily hear them applied, it's, it's the auditory aspect of things that kind of make everything come together and for better for worse that part of me is, doesn't work properly so it's just about recognizing words that I might hear in the classroom or and we just we utilize to and every question from four have not made sense at that point of time and she would gain she would gain by anything it was I got a lot I would say that was ambient advantageous towards the end. Like probably from a speech therapy standpoint, didn't need her. But why was I gonna give someone up who was such a resource and became, I mean, a part of my family. And then some things that we learned along the way was the school district paid for my I work here needs. And while those are self funded, there's the devices called FM units that amplify a single person's voice. And my teacher would wear one. So anything that would be advantageous, using your word again, in the classroom was also funded by the school district. So in high school, I had a note taker so I could pay attention, focus my energy paying attention versus taking notes and missing the next thing. Basically, I think moves a lot faster. And that was something that was really useful. And in college, People volunteer to be note takers, right? They're usually kids in their class. I had someone who wasn't a kid in my class who was doing it for me in high school, but once you hit college, there's always 
aspects of school tend to enlist volunteers to help with note taking. So that that definitely helps. And then the last thing I'll say, if someone, the parent with a kid with NLS is listening to this, is being able to get the syllabus ahead of time so I can have a first look at some of the words that or some of the context that will be discussed in the classroom. Because without context, sometimes words don't make sense if I miss certain parts of a sentence. But if I have context, I can fill in the blank. And maybe if I do miss something, I can ask a question to help me fill in the blank without any context to a conversation or to a discussion where maybe I won't be able to hear everyone behind me talking or can't always look around. This way, I don't feel that I have to spend that an additional extra energy on trying to figure out what's going on around me, at least from an academic standpoint. And so those were really big, small but big things that help bridge some of the gaps. And the gap will always, it doesn't matter what you give someone who has different needs, the gap will always exist. It's about minimizing them. And so even though this all sounds like I had quite the support, it didn't mean I didn't feel like I was missing things. It didn't mean I didn't miss things. It didn't mean that my speech isn't perfect and I know it because I can only articulate the way I hear sounds and that is unfortunate, but I did everything I could to do corrective actions. So certain things, while better, it's just never going to be equal, but it's figuring out how to, how to like minimize that gap. That's the, the best way I could summarize how, think, how we attacked everything. I think that's really, thank you for sharing that. I think that's really powerful. Uh, it, it's also, I, I, I don't know, but I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit older than you. So like I was born in 1976, you don't have to tell us how old you are, but I came from a similar experience where my parents also basically instilled that idea of your, we don't know any other people around here like you, there probably aren't any, and this is what you, you need to face the realities of the world. This is what it's going to look like, and it's only going to bend so much. And if you want your place in it, you're going to have to go and fight for it and compensate or however, I know that's not, it's not the trend today. And thankfully things are changing for the better, but it did. I don't know how you, it seems like you feel the same way. Like it, it was hard, but at the same time, being that kind of pioneer and having that drive and that desire to certainly has brought a lot of different things to the table wherever you've gone that have helped you. Like, it's not just a, it's not just a one-way street. There's really, there's good things that you develop character-wise, the drive that you have, the, the passion to just develop something and be somebody. Th those are really important skills that a lot of people don't have. Except for, I feel like I am going to put an age on me. I was born in 89, so I'm 32. Except for, I feel like I'm exhausted, right? Like, ex and I don't know if you feel this way. I do have a lot of drive and I have seen a lot of successes and major failures in my life. Um, I'm exhausted. Like, I would like to not have to fight so hard to be on the same 
recording and I know everyone has their, I'm going to use the word Mr. Goss, right? Like their own stuff that goes on in their life and like the grass is always green on the other side. I get that, but I don't know if I can say my normal or my typical hearing peers have had to fight their way through things quite the same way. They probably had junctures where there were moments in their lives, but it wasn't a constant. And I think that's the difference, always, and I can only speak for myself, but I think that's the difference about a disability experience. It's a constant. It will never get better. It can only get worse. But it's a constant in my life. It's never going to go away. It's just how I deal with it, whether it's I'm going to let it exhaust me or be empowered by it. So that takes energy, being empowered by it. Like, I think that's the hard truth is my constant, is like my, like, ground zero in my experience and it's unfortunate that this world is a very for me it's a very auditory focused world now we have closed captioning on zoom and tv shows and we're seeing the world be more accessible but it's still not accessible it's just it's not built into our daily lives the way like universal design should be hopefully we'll get there in the next 100, 200 years. I hope it's less than that. I hope it's a lot than that, but I, I, I think it's going to take a couple of generations to not care whether or not you have a disability status. I, real, I really think we're heading towards that direction, but we still have systemic and systematic discrimination, and it's not necessarily overt. It's, it's just because our systems are not accessible so we don't know how to be accessible and so it's always like we'll always have to talk about how you can help me rather than it being an eight and we, that will hopefully change in a generation or two so maybe not 200 years but maybe it's 50 years from now where it's we'll see a drastic sense of change and seamlessness and how our cities are built. We'll be building our infrastructure and like the modern city hopefully will be way more accessible for all, not just because we have to, re, we have to rebuild. And that's an opportunity for us to think about what that means and how do we expand, how do we make our cities inclusive? And that means a lot of different things. You think, do you think your I know you said you feel exhausted and that the year it's constantly, it's energy consumption. And I've had certainly plenty of times in my life where I felt the same way for me. So I had two questions. So for me with my disability, there's some points in time where it feels like it's hardly there. And then there's other points in times where it's a big deal. It just varies. It's not as consistently present maybe in my mind, but do you feel like that constant fight, right? That constant, I've got to, I've got to minimize these gaps. I want to do these things. I want to be included. I want to participate. Is that what in drove you at least in part to working at the mayor's office, being a disability activist, is that you just felt this had to change or should be changed? So yes and no. Um, so a story. Back when I was in preschool, I was in a language, like a specialized preschool for my first year entirely, but then split in my second year with a, a typical day nursery school. 
And the first year, because I was about three and a half and I diagnosed, so I'm four years old, like six, let's say six months in, everything's pretty new. And they wanted to put me, they had me in the ASL only class. And I was a qualifying kid. And that was, must have been when my parents made the decision to teach me language. And they pulled me out and put me in the language delayed class. And because of the qualifying kid for state funding, the school lost its funding for the ASL class. And I don't know all the details because they're going to ask a lot of details. But long story short, I know my parents had to hire a lawyer. And that lawyer had, it was completely deaf. And I grew up learning that story by hearing like anecdotal parts of that story that really resonated with me. And I had every intent to be a lawyer and to to fight for people who had didn't have the support system or the finances or the family structure to fight for them. I'd have been intent to do that with my life. And that when I came to go into law school, I, I needed a break between college and making that decision. And I never actually went back. I realized being, I'm sure I would make a great lawyer. I've been called the lawyer from a I'm really good with details and my eyes are good. So I notice things. I'm sure I'd make a great lawyer and I'm sure if I wanted to, I could go back and do it. But not the point is I realized I could use my skill set of knowing how to say things succinctly, at least I'm written paper and write and be creative with my word choices to powerfully move the message forward and that a legal career may not actually so much of a policy change career. So I, I made a suggestion to get into communication and I used my skill set to help various causes the meaningful for me, like expand their messaging and their reach, which in a sense is the first catalyst of change. So hopefully that means that that influences public policy or like you, you turn the heads and the opinions of a few stakeholders. Then maybe changing the law or seeing you first have to start with a movement. And so that's how I got pivoted my career into communications and utilized a skill set of various nonprofits, one of which was a year in last nonprofit. Volunteered, I volunteered on so many committees because it's really important to me that the lives of those who don't have the resources that I have or the support that I have, especially children get what they need so they can be successful. That's something also a nice little fun fact. My mom was able, because I was in the, in the school district, and so was my brother, but I'm younger than he is. She was able to volunteer as a parent advocate for the special education. And so she would sit and be paired with families who have a child with needs, but don't want to accept that their child has needs or accept resources from the school district. And she would literally be fighting with the families, not with the school districts offering them resources to try and bridge to get like your child needs this. This will make them, give them, allow them to have a life, sustainable life and be contributing members. Like, you know, just don't want them to have this. I don't want my daughter to have hearing loss either, but she was able to have such an impact on so many people in life. I actually joked, I was like, are you going to have a kid just so you can do this for another 18 years? And once I aged out, she couldn't, 
she wasn't allowed to help. But yeah, it's pretty well how like to my chaotically negative experience really isn't so negative when you look at how many people my mom's been able to help, how many people I've been able to help, and like the impact we've had. You have to see like the silver lining of it all. So that's been really impactful to me. Like I think she's incredible that she just rolled with it and found peace with it in a way that could help other people. Absolutely. That's a powerful story. We had another guest, a friend on the show, and his mother actually came on the show because she was a big advocate for him in the school system. And she shared like a bunch of things that we haven't released the episode yet, but we recorded it. And she shared a bunch of things that she learned going through the school system out in California for him. And she still helps other parents. And I think that's the most like you you really hit on an important point that she echoed too, which is that idea of acceptance, right? This isn't what we want. That's not really the, it's not, let's deal with it in the way we deal with it, but that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is let's focus on what do we do next? How do we give Laura like the best opportunities to be successful in the world? And that's the key right there. I, my parents did the same thing and it's it's huge that you bring that up. Yeah. And it's not just to give her the tools to be more successful. How do we, given how the world is not built for people like you and me, the tools to be successful in the world that what didn't have us in mind. Yeah, there have been various points where that doesn't always work or what we thought would happen next was not what happened next at all. Like graduating top of my class of one of the best schools in the country, I couldn't get a job. I was, I could not get a job for the life of me. I would get to the final and the reason I know someone else pointed this out. When you got to the final round, fine, you're not the problem. They didn't want to take a chance on my hearing loss. And while that's not, they can't overtly discrimination, but you don't get to the final round on a job interview. 12 times is always something you did wrong. You got to the final round, you should have, you're either their top candidate or their second. We, it shouldn't happen like that 12 times. And it was really hard. My early 20s, I'd say until, the 20s, until I was like in my second job comfortable, that really like that discrimination and that like holding me, I didn't know I was going to be where, I couldn't imagine I would where I am now. At 32, at 25, it just didn't seem possible. But I've always been nitty, like nitty gritty and resourceful and made something out of nothing type of personality, whether it's in my personal life and the work that I do or a product of working in nonprofits for six years with negative, what I like to joke, negative budgets. They got a way to do it and save much money in the same time type of mentality. It's, that paid off in spades, but if I look back even five, seven, 10 years ago, yeah, it didn't seem possible. I get it. I see it. I was, it's, my journey was very different. Like I, I did used to apply for jobs and volunteer, but I think I knew, and I've never shared this before. I think I knew when I was getting out of college that I wasn't that it was going to be really difficult to get the work. And so 
I went back to school and then I went back to school again. And so I, I wouldn't call it hiding, but I was thinking, okay, I'm going to become a professor. That's going to be safer. They're going to hire me. It's going to be easier. I think that was subconsciously always in the back of my head. And after I got out of law school and decided not to practice, having that, it was a different world and entrepreneurship had already started to actually happen. And so that just seemed, okay, why don't I become my own boss if I have the opportunity to do so and build the team around me and try to do everything I can to make this company succeed. So I think it's really interesting. I was always avoiding that because I'd sensed all of the things and probably more that you, that you're talking about. Yeah. I think I've spent my whole life trying to be accepted in a world of the popular kids, which what it sounds like is you just made a light. And it cracked me by my, like, okay, I'm not going to be get a seat at that table, but I'm going to create my own seat. Yep. I'm, I'm headed there, but I'm finally, so I can't really talk about what I do, but finally at a job where I actually left my nonprofit public sector life. I was like, I'm burned out. I can't do this 24 hours a day all the time. It's just, it, I needed out for at least a little bit, but I had all these skill sets that I knew were applicable to the corporate world. And I interviewed for job, jobs on for about six months. So I interviewed for this job was, was like the job description nailed, had me in mind when they wrote it. They just, and obviously they felt the same. And I started and a lot of things can't like the phone systems. I need a special device to connect. And some things came out where they were more than happy to accommodate, but it was going to take some time. And it was the first time in my entire life where I didn't have to apologize for having my hair lost. If there's a way to accommodate me, no question. It just might take forever in corporate in America. But it was this mentality that like, if there's a solution, we'll find it and we'll get it for you. And that has made me so put at ease. There's other things in my life that don't put me out of here, but that part is put to bed, right? They're just like, oh, you're taking this junk off my shoulder. Like I can walk a little taller, a little lighter. And like, that gives me hope. Doesn't mean they get it right all the time, but it gives me hope that we're headed towards a direction where companies realize that everyone has something and what we whether you need maternity leave or you need FMLA to take care of your sick uncle, whatever it is, like someone needs something at a different time. The goal is to make sure they can be as productive as possible. So you've already identified that they're good talent and that they are a good fit for your company. They bring a skill set and I don't like cultural fit, but they get along with the like with the people that they're going to work with. They know how, they understand the job and they can do it. So the easy part is figuring out how they can be as productive as possible could then you both win. That's the mentality companies just fail to have or the world fails to have. And it's really encouraging to, to hear that, that you're saying that. That's a beautiful thing. It's to me, the, like the, my reaction is it's, it sounds like the company you're working for now has 
taken a broader perspective as to what talent is and what a whole person can bring to the table towards helping out the team, which is really critical. And that's where I think a lot of human beings fall short is not being able to see the talent and the abilities and what a person's bringing to the table. Like it's just a very narrow subset of what they're looking for. And I think if we broaden out a little bit, it's going to help a lot more people like us make more of an impact in the world. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we need to get out of this mindset of you have to fit a cookie cutter mold. Like diversity, as you know, take different shapes and forms and what people need at one point is different than another. And you make it into a sheet tray rather than a cookie cutter mold. You allow things to be a little bit more free-flowing. I just came up with that right now. But great, let, great way to put that. Thread out of the mold and maybe you'll get something equally or better. So yeah, I it's but that's I hope more companies adapt that mindset because I think it it opens up from a consumer perspective. You are more inclusive to various people, disabilities that otherwise you are marketing better to them. You are there's just so much money on the table in the disability community that's untapped. If you employ people with disabilities, then they have spending power and they're going to, they're going to tell their other friends that I really enjoy working for this company. They've done well, like they're worthy of your dollar, that concept too. And then it's just able to be more accommodating of everything. So it, again, like that's the future I hope for, for everyone, I, it shouldn't matter that we have differences. Yeah, it really shouldn't. And I think that's really well said. Do you, do you, do you feel like just as a quick tangent, cause I wanted to ask this question a little while ago, I know that in, in schooling systems, right? Like we have to learn a second language. So some Spanish or French seem to be the, the ones that most people learn in school. And then they, most people forget it later. Do you think it would be an interesting idea to explore learning American Sign Language as a second language instead of something else, just to, just to give students the option? Because the reason I say that is I want to learn ASL. I think it's an interesting way to communicate. It seems more interactive. There's more gestures. It seems very friendly and forward-facing and engaging. What do you think of that idea? Do you think that's something we should consider? Well, I know some schools do. I definitely had to find that new from like different school districts that ASL was an option. I thought you were gonna take this question completely differently. So something that people, I, I realize not everyone knows is that ASL, and uh, obvious in its name, is American Sign Language. You go to England, it's British Sign Language. They are not the same. And there is a universal sign language, but it's, most, it's mostly nationalistic. So while it probably is useful, to know ASL, if you're going to live or communicate with people who are deaf, completely deaf and utilize ASL, and I don't want to diminish its impact in those communities or its usefulness. Can I say it's more useful than knowing a native language, spoken language? I'd struggle with that one. But there is a language or like a way of speaking called cute speech, where some people utilize like hand gestures that not quite sign language, but that complements spoken speech. I think everyone could probably be more adaptive to that because there's probably hand gestures in cute speech and I'm not familiar with it, but 
but I've seen it in action a few times. That'll probably be more universal than sound language. And so if you're speaking about certain food, it's universal for food. But I, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion either way. I think we should be giving people the option to make that choice for themselves. But it is, the usage of ASL is probably way more limited than being able to speak Spanish or Arabic or Cantonese or, you know, whatnot. That doesn't mean it's not useful. So I don't want to say no, but. Um, I like the idea of giving people a choice. Yeah. Yeah. People want to learn American Sign Language, they should, they should be able to. Is there anything like in your day-to-day technology-wise or just we talked about universal design a little bit and I've spoken about that a lot in the podcast. I, I think it's a huge concept, but what's missing that would make adapting every day and interacting every day easier from a technology or a building perspective in your life? You mentioned it earlier, but I've been involved with the mayor's office and I was a previous board member of the Transit Authority of New York accessibility committee and one of the things we're looking into whenever i take the subway or the tube or whatever the mass transit is in the in the city very rarely i have to listen to the announcements and even if there are in new york city at least like in the middle of the train car on top there it is it does tell you what stop you're at but people who are tall might block it. It's not necessarily prominent enough where if it's a crowded subway, you're going to see it. I have to pay attention to the announcement. It's less important for the stops because I know my way around New York at this point. It's more important like if there's, oh, we're going to be skipping the stop and you get off this train because it's going to go on a different path than what this train track is supposed to. And I don't get that. And because I can't, I can hear it, but I, it's not audible like the the actual words I don't use I don't capture the content I hear the noise I don't hear the content so we were exploring ways with a major tech organization I'm, I'm not going to name to create closed captioning on like advertising billboards like rather than just having static advertising like as the subway cards get updated, why don't we make the advertising like those rotating ad billboards where it's digitalized? And so when there are announcements, you remove the ad and you use that space for the announcements. Because there's not sometimes there's no Wi-Fi, so you can't have Wi-Fi enabled announcements on someone's phone. What if someone doesn't have a smartphone? Bluetooth is a little too you need to be in, like connected to the Bluetooth and that might not work on a broad scale and hearing loops that it's not a great technology for a subway car. It still doesn't take away that even with a hearing loop, which is basically a stream up down into my hearing aid, which blocks me out noise. I might still miss the message, even if it's supposed to be louder and the captioning aspect of announcements benefits everyone. And, but unless you have low vision but it benefits a lot of people. And yeah, that was an idea. Like someone's going to go out and make it happen. But that's an idea I had is rethinking how we build our subway cars so that A, you can sell more advertising if it's rotating ads. Like you don't have to just have one ad from one company at one time. You can have three ads rotating, but then it's known that like 
the ads go off when you have a message to put out. But then, and it's about safety, right? It's safety. And then we fund that safety aspect through advertising. I, I think it's a great idea, but there's for, for something like that to happen. Are phone systems, are you surprised that we're still using traditional phone systems as much as we are? Because those have to be, I know I had another guest on the show. She was great. Who's also, she has a hearing loss and she said that one of the, she's always hated telephones. She's never been able to use them effectively. So it depends. So I have a device that I've learned a lot about Bluetooth. Let me preface this because there's apparently two different types of Bluetooth and most technologists don't even know this. And yeah, I have an iPhone or I also used an iPhone and iPad because I have Apple. They have both types of Bluetooth, but a desktop phone at the office has only one type. And so my Bluetooth device, which uses a different type of Bluetooth, I can't connect it to my desktop phone without some sort of third-party device to make the two connect. But that my Bluetooth system connects straight to my hearing aids. So it then it's a, it's really a live stream. I'm like completely deafened to anything else around me, which has its faults. But it means that like it's like surround sound in my ears. And that if I can't connect to the desktop phone effectively or with confidence. And I'm stressed out, wasting time trying to connect or being afraid that I won't be able to participate in a meeting. And that's time wasted and that's productivity loss. So that had been, that's like the big thing for me with the phones. So when that's happened at multiple jobs and what works at one company doesn't work at the other because they have certain settings turned off from a, a security standpoint. So a way to bypass that was my boss got me an iPad. So I could at then do Skype calls. Now we use Zoom. At the very least, that's my backup. And then we got all the configurations. So I can imagine someone who doesn't have a Bluetooth compatible hearing aid or is even more severely hearing impaired or deaf than I am. I can only imagine that utilizing a telephone at the office because desktop phones tend to be less powerful than our cell phones can be a real struggle. You don't know what you don't know. I am hopeful with all these hearables coming out and technology getting really exploded in the hearing space, both from a hearing aid manufacturer level, but really hearables that we will see that is completely normalized to not have a phone on you at all. And that there's like ways in which we can talk to each other. We're all going to have hearables in their ears and that will maybe help normalize some of it's no big deal because we always have hearables in our ears. Um, we're listening to the news in one ear and like we're having conversations. I think that's the future. I think we're a ways away, but I do think we're going to be moving away from the typical like over the ear microphone devices that people use at the office. I, I would give it 10 years, but I do see that it's going to be cost efficient and productivity efficient to figure out a different way. To, you don't, to have phones exist and audio sharing exists in different formats. What about it in your home? Would something different sensing technology, and again, I know this depends on everybody's hearing loss varies, but I would imagine that having, let's say, lights go on in certain rooms or getting some kind of haptic feedback, like when somebody comes in, like 
whatever it could be a friend comes into your home or you don't know their you don't know the other person's in the other room you're not necessarily picking up those low level background audio cues that other people can so you're getting either a visual signal or a haptic feedback signal to know okay these there's somebody in there's somebody in my house there's somebody here in this space that I need to be aware of it so I live alone so for the most part I know when people are coming in but it's a fair point but I think the two big things that I come out of that question for me is fire alarms so High peak with my loss in high frequency, which is like whistles, fire alarms, birds chirping. I see, I see THAs, THAs are all high frequency sounds. So especially if I'm not wearing my hearing aids, it's especially hard for me to hear them. Not mean it's impossible, but I can sleep through them essentially. And so the big thing is like, and I should probably got one of these, like with fire alarms, uh, they have store lights that you can get, I believe, from your fire department to, so when the, the fire alarm goes off, there's also a light that flashes, even if you can't hear it, what's going on. The other thing, so in my previous apartment, I lived in the studio and doorman intercom system was really old. And even with my hearing aids, I didn't necessarily hear it. Like if I had the TV on, I don't think anyone can hear it, to be quite honest. And the problem was, and I thought about getting one of those flashing lights where it would pick up noise and then my light would, but because I was in the studio and I lived right off of the elevator bank and the trash room, I was concerned that the light would constantly go off from the noises outside, not just the noises inside. I never looked into it, but that was, I was like, that's a great concept if it worked properly, but it might not actually be able to distinguish noises because the intercom system is right after the door. So instead, I had my doorman call me. But it's not that, like, in the beginning, that really frustrated me, but it really wasn't, it's not a bad thing that they know that you have hearing loss or you have a need because when you do need help or something is going on, you are top of mind. So I've always liked but you talked about being conscientious of the fact that you might have to carve your own path. I've always been like what's called covering, a cover. Well, I didn't want people to treat me differently or not acknowledge my presence as equal because of my hearing loss. So I wouldn't disclose it. So I've had internships where I never told anyone. Depending who you are, people tell me that they had no idea, which usually means they don't have great hearing themselves. People with perfect pitch tell right away. It's really interesting when you get those compliments. They're like, I've complimented, but you should probably get your hearing checked if you can't hear that I have a little bit of a speech impediment. And like, I don't mess, and it's happened enough times where I know it's not people being nice. It's really people as if I have no idea or I forgot or I'm really good at faking it. And that has probably been great in some respects, but probably really limited me in others. So I'm not always the best advocate. I could use a little bit more of my own advice in my daily life, but that's where the exhausting factor comes in. Why do I have to tell people every single time I meet someone new? Or why is it their business when no one talks about, I wear glasses. This is what I read from you because I wear glasses. I know they're different, but it's, we have normalized certain things and we still haven't normalized others 
And there's like general assumption that, oh, you have hearing loss. Like people don't know what that means. It does, yes, it might mean I miss what you hear. No, it doesn't mean I'm oblivious or rude. I think there needs to be, but is it my job to educate everyone? And I guess in a sense it is, but that's where the exhausted part of having a disability is you are the token person to sit because I am articulate and I'm able to articulate it. I am that person that they go to when they need education. And I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. And it's, I don't want to be that one person in the world. I know I'm not that can give them the information they need. I want people to go and figure it out for themselves. And maybe they come back to the table with a solution that I never thought of. That's probably better explains the exhaustion part that I mentioned earlier. I think that's, those are things that the more people I talk to and the more I read, I see a lot of that. Very similar sentiments. I feel that too. I guess I just learned to pick my battles and pick where it's, it feels meaningful to say something or to not say something at all. And I've, again, I'm not the best, I'm not the best advocate either. And I, I'm human. I mess up. I do stupid things. I, I say the wrong things. It's all part of the, it's all part of the experience, but what I do think is interesting is important to talk about a little bit is you said that we normalize some things and then other things we don't. I had a friend, she has a disability and she was reaching out for personal care and she had reached out as to potentially see to some people in the, the deaf and hard of hearing community. And she got back a lot of responses that said, we don't even think of having hearing loss as a disability. Like it's not a disability. It's just something that's, we don't have this sense and we adapt. Like it's not disabling to us. It's just part of our, our experience. I totally agree with that one. I mean, I'm cutting you off. I don't actually feel like I'm disabled. Mm-hmm. I, I am like, this has actually been a really hot topic among some colleagues and I, whether or not we want to accept the word disabled versus disability. I've always said I am not disabled. I mean, I am not, I am completely limited or I'm partially limited from doing all the things I want to do because of the way I am. I don't feel like I have any limitations other than I probably shouldn't become a pilot or can't become a pilot of a plane, which is great because I hate flying. So it doesn't really matter. But I am someone with a disability. My experience and how I have to pivot and adapt my life to fit and assimilate into the world that, it's a great word, assimilate. Like I have to assimilate into a world that is not accessible to me and figure out ways to navigate with no one holding my hand at this point. When you're younger, you've got your parents, hopefully, or at least some resource, but like, I do it all on my own. I figured like, that's the disabled, the disability experience. If you figure it out and it doesn't, it feels second nature. But to say that I don't have a disability, that I just learned how to adopt is minim- personally minimizing all the work that I've done to get here. And I don't want to minimize that. I've done that enough myself, but it's important in these formats to talk about it and to have those moments where you recognize, yeah, my childhood looked very different than my brother's. Uh, my brother's looked very different than his friends because probably a lot of my mom's energy went towards me. And there's probably 
feeling that whether or not you knew that was the right thing, you were the kid. Sometimes we make kids baseball games for speech therapy. I'm actually pretty good about that, but I'm sure that there's feeling there. If I didn't need speech therapy for whatever reason, my mom would never have missed a baseball game. I would like to minimize and it, it feels to, I, I'm not failing to come up with the word, but it's, I, I would love to say I've just adapted my whole life, but I don't think that's really the case. And that is the case, but I don't think that's enough of a word to come silly everything, the experience that, and like the hardship and because in some places I probably didn't adapt well. So yeah, I, but I don't want to minimize your friend's experience. She felt that that's her experience and that's unique to her. And she feels that's what theory loss is about adaptation. Like, I, I, lo I love that part. And I don't know, I don't know what the answer is. I'm still exploring that for myself. Probably we can, we can say it all depends on how you think about and frame disability in your own life and your own experience and what that word means or doesn't mean to you. And there's probably no right answer. It's just interesting. It's just interesting to see how all of us think about it a, li a little bit differently and come at it from a different angle and have something important to bring into the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, but like I do, I'm, I'm thinking and saying all the things I just said, I do the word adapt. I do think certain things about having hearing locks when you're young and you're, you spend your whole lives adapting. And then I look at people who are in their 70s and 80s or even 60s getting hearing aids for the first time and they have a mild loss in comparison, but it's so disabling because, and their brains don't know how to adapt and auditory rehabilitation it isn't a thing, right? I was taught how to listen for the sounds I don't hear. But when you're an adult and you get hearing and you acquire hearing loss over through aging, it's their experience almost feels more disabling than my experience. And we don't do enough to help them adapt. And there's no reason why they shouldn't. And so I think it really depends on when, unfortunately, like when you have acquired disability when it comes to hearing loss. And I hope that changes as we see baby boomers need hearing aids more and more. We need them to remain productive because if they're not productive part of our society in the way that we need them to be, it's going to hurt us in the end in various shapes and forms. We need to make sure everyone has the ability to adapt. I do that word. It's growing on me. We need to give, make sure resources are not limited to just those who are young. I'm in the school district. I think that's something that I, I see as a need in our world that universal design and help alleviate that burden a little bit, right? If we just think about our whole person and like how they evolve and we design for that whole person and that evolution, then it would be a seamless, people can seamlessly progress through life with different experiences and for the most part, the world kind of molds around them. You're, at least you're giving people a better chance, a much better chance to, to still, like you said, be productive, participate, live a life that isn't, that's still fulfilling to them. How do you see 
you seem like you're very, again, driven, very goal-oriented without, again, getting into the specifics of your current job. Where would you like to see yourself moving forward, let's say in the next five years, 10 years? I know that's a difficult question, but at least within within your career, but also being able to help people. I've never been someone that had a five, 10 year plan. And if I did, I and I couldn't like, and if I did, I could never have predicted where I'd end up. So I know that goes against the mindset of today's society. Like you need to have a vision board. I've always, especially in the last five years, like I do what makes me happy. And what that is, a different could be a different thing every day of the week. But I follow what what brings me happiness. And and so I don't know how to answer that. I do so my career has been built around communications and right now I do communication to people strategy, which is really thinking holistically from a different lens than human resources about how do we attract, retain and and like really foster the employees that we have and also create an environment where everyone can bring their full self and be productive. And not just talking about disability, but that is one lens what we focus on. I would like to do more of that. Like I'm always going to be a communicator at heart and marketing communication is actually like the groundwork for anything getting done these days. Like you have to be able to articulate your vision and do it in a way where people understand it and they, they see value in it. And so that skill set is I'm going to be able to apply that till the day I die. But I'd like to think more about the experience people have in the world that we live in and how we can better it. I'm not a designer, so universal design from an architecture perspective isn't what I'm going to bring to the table, but I have vision. I can envision a world where different things. I would love to work on like the news. We have, we had a blank slate of what, like a desert, which I know they talked about this. Like I'd love to help them build a new city and think about all the things that don't work for me and be part of that. And the money would no object and like we could do whatever we dreamed up and build it. Look to be part of something like that. That's like a, a pipe dream, but. I would love to help build our model of city so that I could do anything else. That would be it. Interesting. I guess they, to some degree, they did that in some of the Middle East or the Dubais of the world, but I, I don't think they, maybe in the next one, they'll consult you that'll more, at least more people with varied experiences to make it more universal design. Yeah. I know they were talking about taking a piece of the desert in that area of the world. They're thinking about it more from a water sustainability perspective. Like, how do you build a city when there's no water? But yeah, if we were to build a modern city with the universal design aspect embedded in it, I would sign me up. Awesome. Everybody has no objects. So let's maybe get one of the billionaires in the world to come find it. I would love to be a part of that too, but that's, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. Hopefully one of these. One of these multi-billionaires takes that up as their next mission. What have I missed that you feel is important to talk about? And that could be either something maybe that you've worked on in the past that you think we could dive into and get some appreciation for, or maybe something, something, it could be something work-related, a project that you've done, anything that you think we should talk about that we haven't 
The only thing I'll add is I've always, the one thing that like having a hearing loss and like growing up with it, like always counting on myself. I have my family I can count on, but you learn to be like self-sufficient and independent emotionally with things. And I learned over the course of my career, the power of collective action and the power voices together to amplify a message and that there are people out there, even if I don't always feel like it, that do want to see people like you and me succeed, that they are willing to fight for us regardless of no connection, that there are good people out there and just have to open up your heart a little bit to, to believe that they exist. Because I know from my experience, most of the discrimination I've faced, young, old, it's been just systematic and systemic in like the organizations that we build. So whether that's being the school district, the principal telling he doesn't want to put me in advanced class simply to make it easier for me when I was the number one kid. Like, I was like, this doesn't make sense. Why would you ever kick out the number one or number two kid out of the advanced class if they didn't have hearing loss? That obviously didn't stick. But the mere fact that I know that conversation was had and like that is a mentality that people have is problematic, right? That sticks with me. That sticks with me through my whole life. And it's everything to compounding of those like microaggressions, whatever you want to call them, that try and discredit me, discredit my capabilities of being on ever even being able to be on an equal playing field, let alone exceeding. Yeah. So that's not, that will always exist. Unfortunately, there will always be bullies. But if anyone, one thing I want coming to get out of this, it that's, that's not the norm. And that we need to believe, we need to really believe and let people prove themselves as allies. And, and it does, I'm going to, we do need to educate. We need to be allies, need to also learn from that education and ask questions, specific, more specific questions so that we can get farther in the conversation on what that, how they can be better allies to us. But there are a lot of good people like you and Faye who want to make the world better. We just need to find each other. And so I think that's, for me, some, something I've learned over time that I'm not going to be able to make change by my, no change happens with one person. When did you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like the specific example, when did you who was it in your life that, that showed you that, or that became an ally that you, maybe you didn't expect, or just had that, when did you first learn that lesson? I think the example I'm thinking of is not really the lesson. The lesson was really learned at this past job, which I spoke about earlier. I'm specifically thinking back to an experience I had in my early twenties working for the Gang Health Foundation, the CDC does like I want to say every five or 10 years, a survey on disability, like a census, but it's just focusing on disability and trying to get numbers on the prevalent. But in order to be accessible for people with hearing loss, they had to have a, what's called a TTY number and they did it. And so how were they going to get an accurate number of the number of people with deafness and hard of hearing if they were not able to actually reach them? 
So the numbers are skewed. And so we we created a change.org petition that sent letters to the person at the White House who was responsible for this, you know, flawed study and demand redo. I know that's expensive, but I don't know if we ever got a redo, but they definitely got the message because for every person, and I think it was over 26,000 people signed the petition, they got also got mailed to them and they got her inbox got flooded. She definitely got the message. And we weren't the only ones, but it's one thing for me to write a letter to my congressman. It's another thing when you have 200, 2,000, 200,000 people writing the same letter to the same person, the power of voice and amplify. And it's not about signatures, right? You want individual letters in the mail, the power that has to change, to turn head, to change perspective, to really put numbers behind a thought i might be the one writing the letter but i still need other people to to take on the challenge with me and that that really stuck out to me i don't exactly remember the outcome of that i think conversations were had but that's just the mere fact that people got behind and rallied and they may not have had hearing loss or any connection to hearing loss it didn't matter it was the mere fact that it was Blood, a really blood study, and it wasn't going to accomplish. It didn't, it could never accomplish the goal that they were seeking to accomplish, with, and that people agreed. It's validating, but it's also really powerful to see so many people come together. I, yeah, and the ability to, when we are educating people or talking to people, I think the ability to show, at least for me, to show vulnerability and not. To not have it feel like a weakness, but it's just simply I'm expressing something that could be better or I'm, ex or I'm trying to show somebody that I could accomplish all of these things or do all of these things if this thing was changed. And so when I got that experience in college where my closest friends, I was able to talk about pretty much anything with and they were open to it and they were curious and they wanted to help. And that's when I saw that sharing these things were not a weakness that they, they could be a strength and that they could help us all understand each other better so not to the same scale but i think it's a really important message and you're right we do try to take things on our own too much at least some of i, I do anyways and you do too yeah um you like highlighted two small little tidbits i wanted to add so recently i was on a panel on allyship and how to be a better ally and some do's and don'ts. And something I mentioned was every time I talk about my disability, I am being vulnerable. I'm sharing something I'm uncomfortable. I've come to terms with, but at times I'm uncomfortable with, and that is a forever struggle. And I'm asked to bear that, which random strangers all the time. And they, and asking them to accept it. But they don't necessarily share. And, and what an ally can do when they receive a vulnerable message is to try, not competition, but maybe match it with something like that, that puts the vulnerability on an equal playing field a little bit. Take some of the vulnerability burden off of us. Cause it's not so much what we're talking about. It's the fact that we're like, we're a little exposed. We feel exposed. And if we can 
take away some of that exposure and not just normalize it, but like match people on that level, I think that's probably a really big part of the issue or the the experience. It's not so much that we're uncomfortable with our disabilities, it's just feel so exposed by it. It's forced exposure. And then I'm really lucky that I grew up with some really great friends. And very quickly we learned that when my teacher wore the FM unit, but forgot to turn it off when going to the bathroom, I had insights into all the hallway talk. And it was, uh, I was like, everyone would just be silent. And I was like, I need to hear it now. I would know all of the dirt. And I was, it was, it was really funny. It was like a plastic scope in a sense. I didn't particularly, and everyone knew when I got the bathroom, I was like, oh, shoot. I was like, my hair is ring. I was like, I just take them out and then I'll turn them off. I was like, I, I don't need to put up with bathroom experiences for the sake of like keeping everyone else comfortable. Pretty much like that was the demeanor in the classroom. So we were the quietest class. Whenever the teacher wasn't there, and probably the noisiest class where the teacher was, that's my problem. I being kids, you know, they just didn't think anything of it. But looking back, that is an expression of acceptance and realizing that I brought something that I had, like sonic ears. Like I brought something to the table, no one else did. I had a superpower, and they loved me for that. But they really loved me for me, but. It's just like something I had that they didn't. So it's rather than do have something that I don't, it's the table got turned a little bit. I can't say everything in life felt like that. But when I think back on like third grade, that's that's pretty much what I remember. So it's trying to, there's a flip side to every story. Someone was probably jealous that I got all the, the talk in the hallway in that classroom, right? So it's, never really said it, but just like, oh, you're so lucky. I'm like, I'm really not lucky, but sure, you can think I am. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I think that is, it's a double, there's always another side to it. There's a, it's like a double-edged sword, but it's, that just shows that I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, a little bit of that broadening, broadening our idea of who we're supposed to be and what mold we're supposed to fit into is look you have this cool ability that I don't have. That's awesome. It doesn't make your life. It's not about like better or worse. It's just, you're bringing something new to the table and your other experiences bring something new to the table, like just a fresh perspective, whatever that may be. And, and it, if our environments can be more pliable, more adaptive, uh, more inclusive, I think that hopefully that idea of filling the gaps just gets more and more minimized and we can just be different, but not different, but not in such a negative connotation as often. Right. Like we consider different is not equal and those two words are not synonymous. Because you have different needs or a different way of doing things that make you less than yeah. Yeah. the other person. I think that's like the big difference. That's when we can change that perspective in our world, we'll be in a much better, a much better place.
Where can people connect with you, Laura? Where can people find you? Are you doing any writing on the side? Are you doing any, any work where people can reach out to you? People can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm currently not writing on the side. Kind of trying to enjoy. I work a lot and pandemic work has bombarded. Maybe I should start writing again. I've written a few articles for various magazines and I don't know. We think I have a lot to say, but everyone else seems to feel differently. Maybe I'll decide to start writing again on a more official level. Encourage everyone to let me know if they want to see my writing and then maybe I'll make it happen. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time. I want to see, I want to see your writing. I want you to start writing again. I hope we can have you back on the show soon. Please stay in touch. I think you're brilliant. I'm so happy we did this and just Thank you for sharing and for being so open and generous with your time and everything we talked about. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to come back.